This is the Comic Cast, where we go over the week's biggest gaming news. No spin, no filter, just 100% accurate opinion. My own. Hey besties, welcome back to the Comic Cast. I'm Cooper, aka Tetra Comet, and I'm here to walk you through this week's gaming news. There's a lot to get into this week. I'm super excited for our second week back. Uh, we are going to go over quite a few things, such as a big Nintendo Direct leak. This one has me very excited. PS5 getting a price hike, The Last of Us Part 1 reviews, and much, much more. So stay tuned. So there are more video game TV and movie adaptations coming down the pipeline. First, let's look at one coming soon, Horizon Zero Dawn. We knew that this was coming. It is a TV show at Netflix, and they have now announced the writers and director. So a big show that is pretty popular on Netflix is The Umbrella Academy. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. It's very sci-fi, a pretty interesting show. I only watched through season two, but it was pretty good. So this guy... Steve Blackman, who was the writer, director, and executive producer of The Umbrella Academy, is heading up Horizon Zero Dawn, the TV show at Netflix. And he spoke about how Aloy will indeed be the main character. It's going to be her story and pretty much just adapting the game's story for the screen. So I am very excited about this, relieved about this, you know, all of these things. Anytime that there's a video game adaptation into film, it makes me <laughs> nervous. But this sounds promising. Uh, Umbrella, Umbrella Academy was a very good show. It was really solid. And the effects work on it, too, because it was very sci-fi, was pretty good, too. And there's obviously going to have to be a lot of that for a Horizon show. So that has me optimistic about the Horizon show. So good on them. And that's not the only thing. It is a big week for gamers and gaming fans at Netflix because Netflix also announced the team behind the Bioshock movie that is in development there, which somehow, I don't know how, this news I completely had missed. I had no idea they were even doing a Bioshock movie. So I am very excited about this because Bioshock is so cool and this is like the perfect video game franchise to be made into a movie um so the director is francis lawrence he did i am legend and the hunger games catching fire both good movies and the writer is michael green who wrote logan blade runner 2049 and american gods wow so these video game adaptations, they're getting some good people. You know, they're not reaching to the bottom of the barrel. They're getting really talented folks who have done stuff that, you know, is similar to uh, the games that they're adapting, which is good. They're, you know, it's not like this guy's never done anything like this before. He understands the horror of Bioshock with I Am Legend and how isolated it is, how to make it creepy. Um... I'm really excited about this one in particular because Bioshock, I've never played it all the way through because I'm kind of a wimp. Actually, scratch that. I'm a huge wimp. And I am i don't like scary things. And to me, to most people, it probably isn't. But to me, Bioshock is scary, okay? 
and it it just seems absolutely impossible to play. I've played very small snippets. I play all of Bioshock Infinite more than once. That game is not scary, but Bioshock 1, pretty spooky. This is the perfect type of game to be made into a film, so I really hope that it turns out good. Next, let's get into some previews for some upcoming games. So, Forspoken. This is a new game coming from Square Enix. A lot of you have probably heard of it. Um, it's about this girl who gets transported from the real world into some weird, fantastical, amazing fantasy land with magic and witches and wizards and monsters and that kind of thing. Um, and honestly, it was supposed to come out this holiday. It's now coming out in January. And I, and I think most people watching this have just been like, it, it, it looks very boring. Like, it doesn't seem that interesting. So, they released a 10-minute trailer this past week, and I was going to watch it and kind of <laughs> take notes on some of my opinions and hot takes, whatever. Well, you guys, the only notes that I took are, quote, I fell asleep watching it, lol. <laughs> you guys... I don't have a lot of hope for this game. It just looks so boring. I mean, the combat looks very flashy, but it's hard to grasp what that's going to feel like. It's the kind of thing where I feel like you need to actually experience the game, whether it be in a demo or something, or just buying the game but I don't think you're gonna have a good idea of what it feels like and if it's fun to play unless you're actually playing it I don't, the gameplay footage is really not doing it justice in my opinion and the writing oh my gosh you guys the writing is so bad I'm sorry I'm sorry actually no I'm not but it's true if everything that we've seen of the story and the and the dialogue specifically so far has just been so corny and it's painful to watch. It feels like the worst parts of Marvel, you know, where it's just like, oh my gosh, this is corny and dumb and really just there's nothing to it. It's very hollow. That's what this feels like. And I don't want it to be hollow, but it does feel hollow. So we'll see how it turns out um, based on this 10-minute gameplay trailer that I fell asleep watching. I'm not expecting it to be great. And I will not be picking it up, if that wasn't obvious. But, you know, we'll see how it turns out. I will say that I am interested and in looking forward to reviews for this game. I always... I'm very anxious to see what people who review games and have played a lot of games, what they think of this. I haven't, I don't think they've done any kind of previews or anything because I haven't really seen a lot of talk about it from the press. So right now it's just what we're seeing in trailers, which is, you know, dull as yogurt. So let's move on from that, shall we? The PlayStation 5 is is getting a price hike. This one's pretty surprising. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's effective in all these places, but I know for sure in Japan it has already gone into effect. 
in Europe, the UK, Japan, China, Australia, Mexico, and Canada, the PlayStation 5 has had a price increase upwards of what would be $50 compared, and this is for the disc model, for the most expensive model. Um, this is wild to me. To, I mean, that's not a small hike. That is, that's a lot. Uh, I have a quote here from the PlayStation blog, and it says, The global economic environment is a challenge that many of you around the world are no doubt experiencing, Sony said. We are seeing high global inflation rates as well as adverse currency trends impacting consumers and creating pressure on many industries. <laughs> this is a lot, you guys. I just find it kind of absurd, to be honest, that they think that this is the solution. The solution is to raise the price. No, if you want to continue to sell, continue selling these products when we're in such a horrible place in the economy, it's not to raise the price, especially when it's Sony. They're in a position where they do not necessarily have to. They can maintain the current prices, I'm sure, and have it not adversely affect them. I... I just think this is stupid. And alongside that, both Nintendo and Xbox responded to this because people immediately were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Nintendo, Xbox, are you going to raise the price? And both of them have come out and said, no, we're not raising the price. So this is also just reeking of arrogant Sony. We know that whenever they are doing well with a console, bad things happen. And this seems like one of those things I don't know if this will actually impact their business in any way with that price hike. Um, but I hope it does. I sincerely hope that people will say, no, you can't just jack up the price $50. That's crazy. And we're not going to continue to support that. Thankfully, though, for people in the U.S., there is not a price hike. Probably because they know that people in the U.S. would be a little bit angrier and throw more of a fit about it. But... It is what it is. So if you're in any of those countries, I would say if you're planning on getting a PlayStation 5, maybe put it off. Or you're going to have to shell out a little bit of extra dough. Staying on the topic of PS5, there is actually a new model of the system. Only in Australia currently, which is odd, and I'm not sure why that is the case, but it is. So both, this comes from Games Radar. Both the disc and discless PS5 models are lighter than their original counterparts, and this is like the distinguishing factor. But as far as I know, the actual form factor has not changed. So I don't understand why, if we're getting these new, not new, but new models of systems, why wouldn't they refresh the outside? Who knows? But especially when the PS5 is so enormous. It's so big. So the new digital PS5 weighs a little over 5 pounds, and the new disc version, disc version weighs about 8.5 pounds, which means that the new model of the PS5 weighs about a pound and a half less than the original, which was just shy of 10 pounds, and even less than the digital ps5 which was 8.6 so the new disc model is even lighter than 
the digital model, which is impressive. So I'm just assuming here, but this leads me to believe that we're probably not going to be seeing like a actual refresh anytime super soon. I know that we had been hearing a year or so ago that they were already working on refreshes for the PlayStation 5, but I'm this leads me to believe if they're just doing nips and tucks without actually changing the system in any real way, it, it's going to be a while. Now, some impressive sales figures that have been circulating Twitter, and they, when I say impressive, I mean impressive. So, the CESA in Japan, which stands for Computer Entertainment Suppliers Association, released their 2022 numbers, and 55 first-party Switch titles have sold over a million units. This comes from, I, I found this from at Pierre485 underscore on Twitter, so thank you to Pierre. But this is crazy. When you go through this list, it just kind of boggles the mind, because you're like, wow, this seems like almost every Switch game that I can possibly think of has sold over a million copies. And even games that you wouldn't have expected to sell over a million copies, things like Bayonetta are on that list, which is great. You love to see it. So Switch is doing amazing, as usual. And recently, with Xenoblade Chronicles 3, we just got the NPD charts for that since it released last month, at the end of the month, and it was number four on the US NPD sales charts, and this, for Nintendo, always does not include digital sales. So, we can assume that obviously it's higher than number four, but that's really great for Xenoblade. It's Xenoblade seems to be picking up Steam as a franchise on the CESA list. We saw that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 had sold 2.5 million copies, which is really good, especially for something that previously had been like a very niche franchise. It slowly seems to be gaining a little bit more mass appeal as time goes on, and the series also just improves in general. So that is great to hear. I love Xenoblade Chronicles 3, but we will get to that later. Right now, what we're going to talk about is Gotham Knights. So IGN has their thing called IGN First, where they get to be the first uh, gaming outlet to have a good look at different games and give previews on it. And so Gotham Knights is one of those games, and... I was very excited for this game when it first was announced, and since then, you know, it got delayed, and then it got canceled for last-gen platforms, and now it's only current-gen, or next-gen, whatever you want to say. It's just been kind of messy. Well, looking at this video footage, it, it, there's just not a lot here, in my opinion, of course. You can disagree with me, even though I'm right. <laughs> There's just not a lot going on here that was very interesting to me. Um, it, it just looked very vanilla. I think the real fun of this game obviously comes in with the knights. You, with you actually playing with somebody else, that's where the fun of this comes in. Because otherwise, it looks pretty straightforward, just like Batman. It doesn't seem like there's a lot that they're really adding to the formula to mix things up. It, but it looks perfectly serviceable uh, 
visually, I did see quite a few frame rate issues in the preview build that they had. Hopefully that will be ironed out before it releases. I'm still not sure if I'm going to pick this one up, but it does look solid. I'll say that. And the thing that they talked about that was interesting, and that makes me more likely to want to look at this game more when it comes out, is uh, they said that the world was more open and that essentially from the beginning of the game, as soon as you start, you can go anywhere in Gotham. And that makes me a little bit more interested. I'm not a huge open world person. Like I'm okay with games not being 100% open world like Zelda, but now that we've experienced Zelda, it, it can be hard to play some of those more classic open world style games where things are segmented or maybe not necessarily open all the time, things are a little more linear. So I'm curious to what extent they will go with this openness, if that affects the story progression in any way, how they're going to manage that. But we'll see. I hope that it turns out good. I would like to play this with friends. It seems like that's really where the fun is. So I might have to do that. Maybe stream it. That would be fun. So we have some Pokemon news. Pokemon is teasing a new, well, Pokemon <laughs> on their Twitter account. I don't know if y'all remember this with Pokemon Sword and Shield, but they did some kind of unconventional reveals instead of just, here's a picture or here's a trailer. They did some interesting things like, I remember they had like a 24-hour live stream on their YouTube channel where they re revealed like two Pokemon. Um, and it was very lackluster and people were like expecting it to be something big and it just kept going and going and going for hours before they even showed the Pokemon. And when they did, it was maybe 10 seconds of footage from this hours and hours of a live stream. Very, very odd. It seems like they're approaching Scarlet and Violet in the same way with maybe outside the box thinking for Pokemon reveals. So this one, Grafii, Graf. Graph I I, yeah. Which seemingly so an I I is like a monkey and then graph I think is probably like referring to graffiti because they showed pictures of paint on trees. Um just a bunch of trees with paint on them. So I'm assuming it's something about a, it's a graffiti monkey. So that's all we know so far and they still so they do this but then they haven't actually shown the Pokemon. So it's like why? What was the reason? I just to show it to me because I'm gonna lose interest. So <laughs> there's that. But then some. This is not maybe necessarily news, but it was something that I thought was really interesting as someone who's into the more technical parts of game design. And it might be something that you'll find interesting. So I thought I would just throw this in here because I thought it was pretty cool. So Game Freak had a presentation that they gave at CEDEC 2022, and that's the Computer Entertainment Developers Conference. And I saw this on Twitter from the user at Leuchube, L-E-U-C-H-U-B-E. He does um, Pokemon modding, and he's always posting interesting stuff about Pokemon, so I like to follow him. Or her, I don't know. <laughs> but 
he posted kind of rough translations and summaries of this talk because obviously it was in Japanese from Game Freak. And it was so cool just seeing their pipeline for development and ways that they're trying to streamline developing new Pokemon games. And then we got to find out like when they were developing games. So like Pokemon Legends Arceus and Scarlet and Violet both started development around the same time in 2018, which is a very, very fast turnaround for both of these games considering their scale but they showed lots of really cool stuff behind the scenes stuff that you would never ever get to see any other kind of place so i highly recommend you check that out i will link that in the show notes for you to go check out this thread uh it is very fascinating so definitely give that a look if you're into pokemon or just into game design it was very interesting to me so maybe it will be to you too another thing that was quite interesting to me this week is the madness that is Sonic Frontiers. You guys, I have had about enough. (laughs) There was a whole fiasco at Gamescom with Sonic Frontiers this past week, and I was, like, asking my Twitter followers, like, can someone explain this to me? What is happening? So, at Gamescom, apparently people somehow found a way at these demo booths to bypass restrictions that Sega had put in place in these demos to keep people from playing past certain points or seeing certain things. Very quickly, people found a way to bypass these things and were then posting off-screen like videos and pictures online of like spoilers for the actual full game, which apparently this was just build of the full game I just don't get that I'm sorry what how did they let this happen and then as a result of this Sega then had to ban people filming off screen and were restricting demos so it was just an absolute mess I do not understand how this happened and the whole it's just Sonic Frontiers and the way that they've approached marketing for this game has been very bizarre so far. Like, they're showing so very, very little of it. And that is very unusual and abnormal for a game so close to release. And I understand that, like, Nintendo does this quite a lot with their games where they don't announce stuff until right before it comes out. But this game has been announced for quite a while. And they just aren't showing anything. And then when they do show stuff, it doesn't look very good. It looks unpolished and just not good. So there's been some people posting their thoughts and impressions on this public demo. And the results are quite mixed. Either people are saying, it's amazing, it feels so good. And then there's people saying, it, it's clunky, the animations are wonky, the frame rate's all over the place. It doesn't feel like Sonic. I have no idea what to expect with this game. And normally, unfortunately, it would be a pretty safe bet to say, yeah, it's a Sonic game. It's not going to be very good. It's going to be lackluster at best. What are you going to do? But with this game, there's some people who are swearing by it. And even in, like, IGN had previews a while back, and they seemed somewhat optimistic towards the game. So I'm just... I don't know where to land on this. I I really wish they'd put out a demo for everyone, 
that we could download because I really want to try this game out. I don't want to have to buy it and be like, oh my gosh, it sucks again. So we'll see. I'm very interested for the review cycle for this game because I have a feeling it's going to be very, a very polarizing release and that reviews are going to be all over the place. Next, we are going to celebrate some more awesome sales milestones. So last week, we talked a little bit about the next Mario Plus Rabbids game, Sparks of Hope. Well, the first game, Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, recently celebrated its fifth anniversary. How has it been five years? How? That makes me feel ancient. That feels like it just happened, and it has been five years. Anyway, for the fifth anniversary, Ubisoft came out and said that the game had passed 10 million sales in time for its fifth anniversary. That is wild. Now, I might be wrong on this. I'm not sure because I don't have sales numbers in front of me, but I'm going to assume that that's probably the best-selling Mario RPG ever. Those numbers are just wild, especially for Rabbids. You wouldn't expect a Rabbids game, even if it is attached to Mario, to do so well. But I'm really happy for him that it did do so well because the game is spectacular and hilarious and they deserve all the success that comes their way. I mean, who didn't see Crying Ubisoft Man at E3 and want to buy this game? I mean, if you didn't want to buy this game after seeing that man cry because Miyamoto was on stage, then you are heartless. Fans of Mafia can be excited because apparently there's a new game in development. So Hangar 13, which is the development studio behind the franchise, the GM Roman Hladik. I'm not sure if that's correct. Probably isn't. He said, I am happy to confirm that we have started work on an all-new Mafia project. While it's a few years away and we can't share anything more right now, we are really excited to keep working on this beloved franchise and to entertain our players with new stories. I have never played a Mafia game, fun fact, but I know that they recently remastered the first one, so now that I know there's a new one in development, I might have to go and give that a try. So that's pretty exciting, and in addition to that exciting news, there's also some more news coming out soon about God of War Ragnarok. I know a lot of people are excited about this one, but Game Informer is doing, they did the cover reveal for Ragnarok, and they're going to have a lot of news coming out about that since it's on the cover. Now, don't be mad. I played the first God of War. I played a good bit of it. And I was not a fan. I I understand that there is a lot of enthusiasm for the sequel. And, you know, more power to you. That's great. Happy for you. But I could not get into the first one. And I did not see the appeal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Calm down. Calm down. I know. It's a crazy thing to say. I might have to give it another try before Ragnarok comes out to see if there's just... Maybe I was just in the wrong mindset, you know? Maybe it was just the time in my life I was playing it. Who knows? I don't think so. I think I just really didn't like it. But but I'll give it another try. Um, so 
that's exciting for <laughs> for people who are excited for it, I guess. Now I'm saving some of this juicy stuff for the end because it's the kind of stuff that is just going to really work me up and, you know, I don't want to start the show off that way or it's just going to be downhill from there. So we need to go out on a high note, you know. First, we're going to talk about Splatoon 3. I talked about it last week, gave some of my opinions on it, and now I have played it. I have played Splatoon 3, and now I can give opinions. And I've, I've, you know, I played for like a couple hours. And I stand by everything I said last week. This game is completely useless. <laughs> it, it just kind of boggles my mind that it exists in the first place when there's really no reason for it to. There's nothing happening here that could not have been done in Splatoon 2 or they couldn't have waited for the next console generation for to make it more interesting. The whole game just felt so samey. Nothing about it felt different. It was virtually unchanged. I did not notice any difference and I went directly from the Splatfest, I went and played some Splatoon 2 because I was like, man, is it really that similar? Am I just being cynical? And I couldn't, I did not feel any difference. I could not tell any difference really visually. There was just nothing going on different for the next game in the franchise. I just expected more, but it just feels sort of like Call of Duty. It's like, yeah, it's more Call of Duty. So that's a little bit disheartening. But there is some news about Splatoon 3 that came out. I saw this on Go Nintendo and thought it was worth sharing. So this re- relates to Splatoon 3's tick rate, something I had never even heard of. So a server's tick rate relates to how often a game refreshes its information a second. The bigger, the better. The average for most online games is somewhere between... 30 to 60 hertz, naturally, because that's typically what we see the frame rate at. But that's not the case for Splatoon 3 or for Splatoon 2. For whatever reason, Nintendo's decided to go with 16 hertz for Splatoon 2, and they appear to be sticking with that for Splatoon 3. Equally baffling, this is 30% slower than Splatoon on the Wii U. What? Why? Make it make sense. Give me a reason. Nintendo, why are you like this? Why can they not do anything right when it comes to online? This just boggles the mind. And later in the article, it refers to how, if you've noticed, whenever you play Splatoon 2, and then if you've played a bit of Splatoon 3, you'll notice that a lot of the time you'll have... I don't think there's a term for it in the game, but you'll kill somebody the same time that they kill you. And this is the reason for that. And the reason why that did not really happen as much in the original Splatoon on the Wii U, because it had a higher tick rate. So that's why that happens. And I was, it's just crazy to me because I know that that is a thing. Like when I was thinking back on, Splatoon 2 and how often that happened to me. I just thought I was unlucky. But I don't remember that even being an issue for me. It's Splatoon on the Wii U. So, again, just another piece of news about Splatoon 3 that is disappointing. They had the opportunity to fix this, to make it better, 
and they did not. So again, I ask, why buy Splatoon 3 at full price on release? There's virtually no reason. It is not worth $60. I'm sorry, but it isn't. All right. The Last of Us Part 1 reviews are out today, and they are surprising. The game has a Metacritic score of 89, so it is doing very well, and whenever I was scrolling through Metacritic, there was a lot of perfect scores, and not just scores from, you know, random sites, but like pretty large outlets were giving it perfect scores. Given the response to this game upon its reveal, I just expected that it would get somewhat low review scores, but then it's obviously doing really well. And then I watched Digital Foundry's video on the differences in this game to the original or even the remaster on PS4, and wow, it is substantial. It's a lot more than what the angry Twitter users would have you believe. It looks amazing. I am 100% there for this. Day one, I am excited now. Watching this side-by-side footage, it was just kind of mind-blowing. It looks so different, and not different in a bad way, different in a good way. It looks like The Last of Us Part Two, which, of course, is visually remarkable, and I can't really think of another game that has reached that bar that Naughty Dog has set so, so high. So if you enjoyed The Last of Us Part Two, at least in terms of its visuals, then you will definitely want to buy The Last of Us Part One. I'm very much looking forward to this. I love the first game. The second game I did not buy because I found out what happens in the story and it made me mad. So I have no interest in playing part two, but part one, definitely going to give that one another play. Super excited for that one coming out soon. And then we are finally at the end, ladies and gentlemen, but the end is so spicy. Oh my gosh, get you some ice water, a a tall glass of cold milk, because you're barely going to be able to handle this because I know I barely handled it. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Jeff Grubb is at it again. Every time I hear this name, I know there's about to be some tea. He is a journalist at Giant Bomb, and he announced on his YouTube channel that a direct, this is a quote, is 100% happening and will be a Zelda blowout. Whew! If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. It's supposed to take place on the week of September 12th, so not along at all. And the reason it is he's calling it a Zelda blowout is because Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD will be, for the Nintendo Switch, of course, will be revealed. And this is the real kicker. And we will possibly even get a glimpse at Breath of the Wild 2. And again, a quote from him, there is a distinct possibility of a name reveal. Okay, I'm going to need a minute just to breathe and take this all in. I know you might as well. So this is, this is what I wanted from Nintendo this summer, whenever they did not have any kind of direct 
in place of E3 or any presence at Summer Games Fest. So I'm so glad that we're finally getting a direct. We've had September directs every year for I don't even know how long. Five years, maybe. So it, it is to be expected, but it's so it's a relief that we're getting one because it feels like we just know so little about things that are coming out soon. And there's gaps in, you know, release frames for different titles. There's just a lot that we need to know and a lot that they have yet to tell. So there's more to it, though. It is not just this is not just exciting for Zelda fans. Uh, Jeff Grubb also said that we might see Fire Emblem. I'm assuming a new mainline title. Very exciting. And Metroid Prime Remastered. So I don't know if you've all been following this saga about Metroid Prime, but it has been rumored for so long. First, it was like four or five years ago. They're going to announce an HD port of Metroid Prime Trilogy at the Game Awards. It never happened. Then it was, okay, now it's going to be announced at this direct. Never happened. Well, now the narrative this year from Mr. Jeff Grubb has been that they are actually going to be doing an in-depth remaster, maybe even more along the lines of a remake of Metroid Prime 1 only, and then that they are going to do the others down the line, which is a very interesting approach, and I'm not sure why they're doing it in that way. Maybe because they know it's going to be that long until Metroid Prime 4 comes out that they can release all three individually. I just hope that they're not all $60, but of course, this is Nintendo. They will be $60. So if this is true, and we get a Nintendo Direct on the week of September 12th, we are going to be getting a bunch of Zelda and Metroid news. Wow. This this is this is E3. This is Nintendo's E3 if it does in fact happen and I'm holding on to hope for dear life that this happens because I need Zelda news in my life. I just need Zelda in my life. Period. It has been too long and we've seen too little of Breath of the Wild 2. I would love just to get another 60 second teaser and a name reveal especially considering it's supposed to come out in a few months. And Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD are long overdue. We need those on the Switch now, and I really do hope that they're not just simple direct ports, that that maybe that they've put a little bit of work into them, some tweaking like they did with Skyward Sword HD. Maybe they'll up the frame rate to 60. That would be awesome if they can pull that off. We'll see. Regardless, I am so happy about this news. Any time that there is Zelda news, it is a good day. So that wraps up the news. And now I would like to share with you a little bit about what I've been playing. So I got this idea from my mom, actually. She was like, hey, you should talk about the video games that you're playing. And I think that's a great idea. And I'm going to do it because I have thoughts, you guys. I have big thoughts about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. This is your spoiler warning. Turn around and please, I'm begging of you, do not continue listening if you have not gotten past or to the end of chapter five. Do not continue listening. Run. Run for the hills. You want to experience this for yourself. You do not want to be spoiled here. Okay? This is your warning. 
scurry along. All right, now it's just us. You guys, this game blows my mind. <laughs> I have not cried at a game in a very long time. The last time that I did that was probably Breath of the Wild. And it takes a lot to make, not to make me cry, I actually cry pretty easily, but for a game to make me cry. And this game made me cry, like, for a good while. Like, I shed some actual tears. The storytelling in this game continues to impress me because they make you care so deeply in, in many different ways about all of these characters in your party. And then to think that you've lost one just is it was so hard to handle so obviously if you're listening to this point you know that there's spoilers so I can say I'm obviously referring to the end of chapter five with Mio I thought for sure that Mio was gone and even there was a point earlier in the chapter that made me cry with Lans and Senna when they were gonna kill themselves to save everyone else oh I just could not handle it, especially with Mio, the build up to it. And like, I remember the first time she said, if I was given another day to live, then I would want to spend it with my Noah. And of course, that means something other than what you think it means at the time. And it's so interesting the way that that panned out. Oh, but then just like with it cutting to Noah and him just sobbing thinking that she's talking about him and and you think it too and so then I, I just broke I started crying wow and then her whole execution scene basically was just brutal that whole chapter was just such a roller coaster ride of emotions and I have not really been so impressed with the game story since Breath of the Wild because they really do I mean of course there's the anime stuff that makes you roll your eyes. But overall, it's so impressive what they're doing with this game. Oh, I and I really was not a fan of one or two. And so I, I'm i just honestly, truly blown away. And now this has like made me a believer in Monolith Soft. Whatever they publish from now on, I will be there. Because this, this has just really impressed me. And now to wrap things up my weekly hot take. So this week is a hot take based on an ever popular gaming franchise that people have a lot of thoughts on. So please tell me how you feel about what I'm about to say. And of course, you know, I'm right. So even if you say I'm not right, I know you're just in denial. It's about Halo Infinite. I have to say, after all this time, I really thought that they would have delivered on their original promise of Halo Infinite and that we would by now have a finished product. And we really, truly do not still have a finished product. 343 has let down the fans one too many times and ultimately has been nothing but a detriment to the franchise. Yeah. That's a hot take. And I'm sorry, it's true. I personally think that it is time that the reins are taken away from them and given to somebody else who has more respect for the franchise. 
And I don't say that with any malice, like that they hate Halo and they want to defame it or something. No, but clearly when you look at, there's plenty of videos, you know, comparing statements from the devs at Bungie to those at 343. They just don't get Halo and they don't have, they don't have a respect for the original vision of what Halo is supposed to be. And I think Halo Infinite is kind of the ultimate culmination of that, where it's just been a complete and utter nightmare. And it feels like such a sliver of a game. Like, it, it was very solid, and I enjoyed the experience. And it, But it felt like it was just getting started when it ended. Super disappointing. And I, I almost would like a reboot for the series, whether it just be wiping everything away and pretending it never happened with 343 or completely saying you know what we're going with a totally new story with a new hero that's not master chief i don't know but whatever it is i just really don't want for 343 involved i know it sounds evil but i'm i'm right it's we've we've all heard it at the beginning of the podcast and it's just the facts all right, and that is this week's show. Thank you all so much for listening to the Comic Cast. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Next week, I will be adding a video format to my YouTube channel, which, of course, is Tetra Comet, but I will also leave a link in the description for you so you can go and subscribe there. And that wraps it up. Be sure to come back next Wednesday for more gaming news. I'll see you then.